Welcome to Season 6 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise in facilitating leadership learning. Passionate about leadership education? Want to expand your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Hello, and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And I'm Dan Jenkins, Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern May. And welcome to the end of Season 6. That was fast. <laughs> that was, that was incredibly fast. Yeah. Wow. And what a crazy semester. So, but we'll get to that. <laughs> so, yeah. So this season we focused on, on educators and faculty developers who they might have write or speak about teaching practices in higher education. Uh, our guests, they author popular texts, they currently host popular podcasts where they discuss current trends and best practices in higher education. Uh, all were from different places in the university. Some um, were very recently at universities and moved on to consulting uh, businesses of, of some type or shape, And but they've been in disciplines such as geography and education, psychology, uh, organizational behavior, business, uh, but they all share teaching practices and strategies that could be applied more broadly. And this was a great season for us. We generally, you know, have great guests, but it was nice to step a little bit outside of leadership, education, and into higher ed, and even to a certain extent, entrepreneurship. Because like you said, some of our guests, uh, their businesses center on coaching and, and teaching strategies for, for being good teachers. Um, at the end of the season, in our wrap-up episodes, we typically do three things. First, we talk about our current project. So what are we teaching? What are we researching? And where are we um, serving in our university? Then we talk a little bit about what we learned from our season or our memorable moments. So things that people shared that's really stuck with us. And then last, we discuss our plans for the next few months. So since it's the spring semester, we'll be talking a little bit about our episodes in the fall as well as or episodes in the spring and then kind of what we have planned for the fall. So then you want to get us started? What? What are you working on right now? What am I working on? You know, um, it's always funny because like I get these uh, comments from my colleagues, like, "Where do you find the time?" And I feel like I've been taking on less and less. Um, and I don't know if that's true or not, but um, I'm, I'm excited about um, getting back into conferences in person. Uh, I, I really just cannot wait to to share some share some craft beers and reminisce, give some hugs, some high fives, and, and just, just be back into, into those social spaces and in, in person, you know, what it's as much as the, uh, the zoom happy hours have been fun and the virtual beers as well. Um, there's just something about being back in person. So, uh, I'm going to be attending for the first time uh, ever. Um, this is because my, uh, Scott Allen, who we've had on the podcast and, and has his phronesis podcast. And then one of my colleagues at USM, uh, Liz Tereski had kept saying to me, you got to go to this management organizational behavior teaching society conference. You would love it. So experiential, so pedagogically focused practitioners conference. So I'm registered. Um, and, uh, I got a couple of things accepted. Scott and I are going to do uh, a couple of sessions and then, um, Dami Alegbele, who's one of our assistant professors here at USM, we're going to do a session on, uh, on teaching followership that I'm really excited about. And then a few short weeks later, um, headed to Association of Leadership Educators uh, Conference, which is one of our uh, key sponsors for this podcast. And uh, we'll be recycling that followership education uh, conference, Dami and I. Uh, so we'll get, give it our the old college try in uh, California and then get to Kansas City for ALE and 
Um, hopefully we don't have to fix anything and it's well received in both both places. I uh, also have a session with some folks in uh, Canada and in the US. We're going to be sharing some of the ways that we transformed the collegiate leadership competition from online to face-to-face to online to face-to-face and how the preparing uh, our teams for that uh, ensued. And then I've got really excited about a session with uh, Nyasha uh, Graman Tunhu Cooper uh, out of um, out of Texas. Uh, we're we had a session that didn't get in last year that we got accepted this year um, on uh, different levels and using voice uh, as a strategy in uh, leadership education. So excited about that. And we specifically using some technology enhanced strategies for uh, really kind of moving from, you know, less vulnerable uses of, of sharing and what we call quote unquote voice. And you have to come to the session to see what we're talking about um, and what that means when you get more vulnerable with using your voice uh, and what have you. So those are the conferences other than LEA 20. 2022's uh, Leadership Education Academy. We've had Corey Similar on the podcast uh, before to talk about uh, how her and I co-founded that and have been able to, it have been just so lucky and fortunate to work with so many great co-facilitators over the years and handed that off to uh, Ryan Soderthwaite and Carrie Priest, who are co-chairing this year. We're actually going to have them on the podcast um, soon to talk about what this year will look like. It's in Silver Spring, Maryland, just outside of DC, very easy to get to. So August 8th through the 11th. And yeah, registration is live. If you go to ilaglobalnetwork.org forward slash leadership dash education dash academy, uh, you can register there. It's limited to 80, 80 spots. So uh, register early and tell your friends because it is um, it is definitely the premier program uh, for preparing leadership educators. And I know, Lauren, you've given us lots of love on your experience uh, from the virtual version we did last year, but we're very excited to be back in person. Um, what else? With ILA, we're all still waiting for our proposal statuses for the global conference. Um, I hope that that I hope that those are sent out soon. Usually, it's I think it's early June is what they agreed to. Uh, let's see, outside of that stuff, teaching and advanced qualitative methods this summer for our doctoral students, along with some other classes that I've taught before, um, working on a book chapter with Paige Habakuran, who's over at Texas State. I don't know why we haven't had, we got to have her on. She's she's brilliant and, and so much fun to work with. She was one of our original uh, LEA facilitators, but we're working on a on a chapter on the impact uh, on the impact of leadership programs. Um, it's a research agenda book that Susan Comavez and Julie Owen are, are co-editing and um, that has been a really fun, but also extremely challenging project. Uh, not because of Paige, because of the content <laughs> she's been a joy to work with. And um, let's see, working on a just, we're just going to start interviewing because we got our IRB approval last week. Um, Lori Throop and I, she's at Christopher Newport University. We're going to be interviewing some students about their experiences in uh, CLC, because we both used followership textbooks at our classes. And we wanted to see what's the impact of followership education on team performance. Uh, and I think that's going to be, we, we don't know what we're going to find. So we're really interested. We just know, we just thought there's, there's something there. Uh, and so we want to figure that out and see if we can get some data from interviewing some of the students that completed those courses at our universities. And uh, last but not least, I guess, as far as what am I working on, uh, I will be done being my department chair <laughs> at the end of the summer. I cannot wait. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you for that's your not even That's not even the bigger news. I know when, oh, what episode was that? When, when, oh, who was it that said that? Thank you oh, for uh, your service. Uh, Tell um, all your department chairs. Um, ooh, ooh, oh, how do, I, I know exactly oh, who it is. I like COVID it. brain. Vincent Ugutu. 
Yes. I was just about to say COVID brain is a real thing where they said that because you've been inside so long and your socialization has changed, you now forget the like most simplest of things. But yeah, Vincent, Vincent shared a lot of great reads in that episode. He, I, I remember like sitting back and like, I can understand why you're one of the emerging leader. Well, why you are a strong leader in on the entire continent of Africa. That's right. Um, I can, I get it totally after that conversation, but anyway, congratulations on that. And then the second part to that was. <laughs> yes, I know. And the big news is, so I'll start the fall as full professor. So I got my, uh, thank you. I got my uh, promotion approved. So that is, that is exciting news to, to transition out of chair and into full professor will be very exciting. And how wonderful. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. Thank you. And what have you been up to? Oh, Lord. Right. Um, so I agree in the reduced commitment space. I feel like I did a lot this semester. So I teach a 4-4. So I'm an NTT. So I, I teach full. I teach four classes. Um, if I'm lucky, I teach two of the same section, which makes it a little bit easier in terms of prep. Um, in general, my courses have been smaller than they've ever been, which I appreciated because it allowed me to get to know my students um, just that much more. I do a lot of service because of that NTT role. So I led, I chaired an NTT assistant professor search. So for the first time I was on the organizing side, working with stakeholders like the Dean's office and faculty affairs and submitting paperwork and just coordinating. So we're bringing on a new NTT in the fall, well in the summer, but I led that, that search committee, which was a good experience. I had the best committee ever. Um, they were easy to work with. Everybody jumped in and, and made it such a pleasurable experience. Um, it was actually so good. We actually, we hired, we ended up about halfway through having a person resign for next year. So we ended up hiring a couple of folks um, out of the pool because we had two really qualified candidates who could fit our department equally. So my, my chair said, because you're so good at getting two people hired on one line, we're going to keep you on this role. And I said, thank you, but no, thank you. Uh, you got it. Um, I also want to like I, one of the service things that I do, um, I work outside of my college with a pre-professional health studies program, and it's for students who are looking to go to all different types of uh, medical health professional schools, so medical, dental, uh, PT. And so I meet and interview some great students, and we talk a lot about their service and their leadership. And then I get to write in a committee interview letter, which just talks about how they presented in the interview. And so I've been doing that. I realized I've been doing that for, I believe, almost seven years, which some of these commitments, yeah. Wow. Right. Some of these commitments, I, I'm like, I don't know how I've been doing that long, but I also last month celebrated 14 years at Temple. And yeah, right. And I'm 25. Don't do the math. Um, <laughs> so I don't know how they hired an 11-year-old to be a coordinator of student activities, but they did. You're ahead of your time, Lauren. Right. So with all that service and teaching in the spring, I actually am not teaching this summer. Um, I am 100%. I've been focused in, on two things, writing my dissertation. I've been stuck on chapter one for, for chapter two for way too long. But it, even since school has ended last week, I've gotten more done. I feel like in the last week, my, my chair who's retiring will be happy. Um, and then the second thing I'm doing is I've been coaching uh, sports coaches and professionals in my spare time. And so this summer I've dedicated probably two months of just working with folks and, and it, it's, it's a blessing and a great experience. I get to talk to them about who they are and how they communicate that to other people, which is how I, I subscribe and, and define myself in my professional purpose. So 
I'll be doing those two things, which will be plenty. And then in the fall, I'll begin my fifth year of teaching full-time and my 10th year teaching overall. So I was an adjunct for a while before I came over um, to full-time work. And so in just preparation for that this summer, I'll be redesigning one of my classes using some of the content from the LEA. So what I appreciated and we'll talk about in a summer episode was that um, I was able to choose a class to focus on for the program. And so all the ideas, content I heard, I could apply and and I was able to implement a couple of things right away last August. And so this summer, I'm going to be going back and digging through my notes and the readings and seeing where I can apply that to a different class that I'm teaching. So uh, that, and then, you know, maybe get outside, go to the beach, travel to Cal- yeah, travel to California is always my favorite place to go. Nice. Um, spend some time with my son, you know, he's signed up for camp, but there are a couple of weeks that are wide open that I hope I can spend some time with him. Um, if I'm getting, my hope is to time it where my chair is reviewing stuff while I'm trying to go on vacation. So I'm like, oh, I can't do anything anyway, you know? <laughs> So that's what's keeping me busy. That's what's been keeping me busy and will keep me busy through the fall. So perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I guess as much as we think we're not busy, we're busy. Um, My goodness. Right. So, and as, and, and yeah, thanks for the, you know, the kudos too around the LEA and they had an opportunity to, to really put into action the, some of the things that you had opportunity to work on and the resources you had opportunity to um, to really kind of uh, absorb uh, last summer. So another plug for for that. So, you know, this this was such a fun season because we challenged ourselves to get out, to go outside of our leadership education and educators box and really push into uh, other areas of, of higher education. And the episodes were just so helpful. You know, one thing I, I took away for sure was how often conversations came up around how leadership educators, one of our roles, we kind of model, we, we've talked about that a lot on the podcast of the role that we kind of assume the position of, of, of being role models and doing things in our classrooms that we hope that our students will go out into their own organizations and and do. And um, multiple times came up and, and the, the language maybe changed a little bit, but um, how do we facilitate brave spaces, safe spaces, vulnerable spaces, trusted spaces? Like, how do we do that in the classroom? And uh, that was true when we interviewed Bonnie Swalchek and and Stephen Brookfield, Barbie Honeycutt, Dee Fee, Kathleen Gabriel. I mean, they all talked about different strategies that they used to, to do that in, in their classrooms and just how important that was to open up students' willingness to share more about their experiences. Because that's what leadership learning is is about in many ways is, I mean, it's, it's experiential. We learn from experiences um, that we have. We also learn from the experiences that our classmates have and that our, and our faculty have. And in, and in doing that, there are some strategies that, and some great nuggets that we, you can pick up, go back and listen to those episodes uh, or some things to uh, get that going in your own classrooms. I agree. One of the things that was helpful specifically around the spaces and the classroom environment, um, think, you know, had a line about using strategies that build trust and create an environment where students can learn and being intentional about that. And I feel like I know when I first started teaching, I focused so much on the, the, the learning, the material and making sure I said the material out loud. And in reality, it's about how do we how do we get our students to trust that we want them to do well and we want them to learn? And then how do we create that environment? And I think even more, the technology is creating the environment for us. And I feel like that's why a lot of people struggle is 
especially those that have taught for a long time, we've for so long relied on what we said in the classroom to be the thing that creates that space. When in fact, how long it takes you to return an email, do you use email? And when you email students, are you acknowledging them as people instead of just jumping right into what's happening? Like one of the things I had to change was I now say to my students, like when they send me an email about being sick, the first line is something around the, 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 something to the effect of, you know, I hate to hear that you're sick, you know, just even acknowledging them as a person and saying like, oh, that that's tough. Um, and then I jump into kind of what their next steps are and what they should do. So yeah, I definitely, we definitely talked a lot about the space, um, and how trust and communication is there. And specifically that think line, um, what else did you take away from this season? Yeah, I mean, another thing that that was definitely helpful. I mean, I love the conversation with Stephen Brookfield specifically, um, and I geeked out like crazy on that one because um, between him and Fink, I mean, they were probably two of the most influential uh, individuals that I just consumed everything they wrote when I was a, a doctoral student. And to uh, well, well, I had met Fink and and in the past, uh, Stephen, I hadn't had a chance to to chat with before. So that was just such an amazing conversation. And, and specifically, not remembering some of the things I had read and having to go back and and uh, and go through some of those books, because I've got pretty much everything he's ever, ever written on my bookshelf. But, uh, you know, it was kind of almost funny to ask him, do you have any strategies for, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, what was evaluating how well your discussions are going or strategies for um, what was it for like protocols for or rubrics for like discussion, both in the classroom and, and out of the classroom. And then I think as soon as I asked that, I was like, of course he does. I, I He wrote it in his book that I've read. And so, you know, he was, uh, he shared some great resources around ways that you can get better at, uh, at doing that, doing that work and, and tricks and um, and strategies so that students have some things that they can be looking for when they're contributing to the conversation, not just speaking and just talking to be to be heard. Strategies for sharing an additional resource or yes and or just some of the other things that I just thought were really really helpful. You got you all have got to go back and listen to to that episode. And it was really interesting the way that that Brookfield shared around dialogue and discussion are fantastic because it gets students together to tackle issues and share experiences. And as a faculty member, we can curate those spaces for dialogue and learning so that students can exchange experiences. I love that, just that those two words together, exchange experiences, and that students come in with different levels of experience. Uh, And Another thing that he said that I love, he said, real breakthroughs happen in group settings where critical friends bring new perspectives to your attention. Critical friends. Like, I want some critical friends. I mean, not critical, (laughs) but like critical friends, you know? And so it was just, he really dropped some great things on us and um, really appreciated just what he brought. And I I think he's motivated me to consider putting together a a workshop for next year's kind of conference season around how can we incorporate some of Brookfield strategies into how we do discussion and leadership education, because it's our signature pedagogy. We do discussion more than anything else. And other than the chapter that that Kathy and I have in our, in our book, Transforming Learning, you know, there's not much else out there around facilitating good discussion and leadership education. Sorry, role of leadership educators, transforming learning. Kathy's going to she's going to kill me. (laughs) She's going to listen to this and she's going to call you up and have fiery, have critical. She's going to be that critical friend. You're right. Although she's one of the nicest people in the world. Yes. Yes. No doubt. (laughs) 
You know, uh, Brookfield was incredible. I enjoyed having him. And it's it's so interesting because one of the, the things we criticize or regularly talk about is that use of discussion. And it's not just talking, like it's very intentional. And it, interestingly enough, where I got criticized on my student feedback forums was some of the questions I asked weren't critical enough. So like one of my teachers, so every year, like a cornball, I do teaching goals. It helps me stay like engaged. It helps make sh- me make sure I'm, paying attention to what's happened both in teaching and in leadership. But one of my teaching goals is to go back through his work and see, you know, can I craft stronger questions? And, and, in, and in one of my classes, my goal is to show up every day with questions that we have to answer and, and pull, making it so that they pull from the resources in class and out of class to answer those questions. Um, I'm, you know, a recovering PowerPoint lecture holic. Um, I haven't been, it's like, uh, I haven't been that in a few years, but mm-hmm. I know there's still work that I can do. But my goal is kind of to put five questions, four or five questions on a slide that I feel they should be able to answer related to our learning outcomes and see if see what they come up with. Um, I feel like to me, it's going to show me being vulnerable and me being trusting. But I also, like I have some great students and they answer the questions that I ask anyway. And so can we turn it into a space where they bring that knowledge, but if they don't know off the top of their head, like go look it up, take a minute and look it up in the resources. Like, you know, I was one of those instructors that, you know, read before you come to class and then talk about your notes, but how can we make sure you're jumping into the material in the class, outside of the class? And, and at the end, you don't feel like we were just talking. You can say, you know, these are the, maybe it's like going back to the question saying, these are the four or five questions I want to dig into deep. And, and that's our semester wrap up. So you made me really just think about um, putting more of the onus on students to answer those questions more than I have before. So, so yeah. I agree. And also Kathleen Gabriel was somebody that, you know, made me think about, about redesigning courses or redesigning my course. I love that she shared, you know, mix your students up every time they come in. And, and in my groups class, they feel like after a certain point, they're always working in those groups. But when I taught classes that weren't related to their group experience, I switched them up almost to the point where they would look at me at the beginning of class and be like, well, what were we actually going to do? Um, and she said, she said this, um, and it stuck with me simply because one of the things I appreciated about college was I had friends that I've had for years and we weren't always in class together, but those are the people that I'm still in touch with to this day and we're networking and working together. And so even if two or three of them stay together or stay in touch, I feel like that that relationship will be just as beneficial as their degree and as the things that they learn, like those relationships will be valuable. So mixing them up and making sure that students call each other by names and things like that, like are super helpful. And that was something I took away from Kath, uh, from Kathleen Gabriel. Uh, anything else, Dan? Something yeah, else I mean- helpful? Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's interesting that you that you focus on that because that was definitely a theme that we've not only seen in in the guests this season, but how intense. I mean, the gentleman we had in the, to talk about uh, what got, went on in the statistics course at Harvard and some of these these other strategies of just how important it still is to go back to those fundamentals as faculty of get to know your students and let them have an opportunity to get to know 
each other. One of, one of the things that really spoke to me uh, when we had Barbie Honeycutt on was this idea of involving learners in the process of learning. I and mean, she she talked a lot about how she you know flips her classroom by involving learners in that process. And whether it's by asking them what they want to learn and, and how, or by spending intentional time, again, letting them get to know each other a little bit better. Um, and one of the things that that I remember we 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 chatted about with uh, with her and also with Dee Fink was that and something I I think I shared I only got more comfortable doing this after tenure was that I would you know kind of externally process and share with students in my class about hey we're doing this activity because it meets this particular learning goal or these two learning goals that we want to get to or we're going to take the discussion this way because I want to make sure we talk about you know this content or this learning goal and how much students were actually responsive to that as opposed to gonna at me like deer in headlights and and being like, why is, why are they telling us just teach us professor? You know, like, but no, they, they really appreciate, particularly the, uh, the adult learners um, really appreciated um, making those connections and, and how much, I think it was D who also talked about, or maybe it was Barbie. They're all kind of, and maybe Kath, I don't know, they're all kind of bleeding together, <laughs> but the, the concept about, you know, the more we know about education and the process of education, the better that we're going to get as human beings at, you got to give a presentation to clients and you're, and you're meeting at your business. Like you need to know how people learn, like going through the, the, like you mentioned PowerPoint, like going through 10 slides, like boring, like it doesn't need to be a Ted talk, but like meet people in between there and understand how people learn. You're going to be much more successful at life by having some of those, those, those things about how, uh, how individuals respond to, to information and how to engage them and, and to share in the experience, not just being a passive recipient of knowledge. And I guess with that, just how much all of our guests this semester uh, committed to getting to know their students, to building trust. And again, to kind of where I started creating space, a safe space, brave space, trusted space for students to get to know one another uh, better. And I uh, think dropped a great, I keep saying the word nugget, but <laughs> he dropped a great nugget on us. Of, he said, if you want significant learning to happen, there has to be trust between students and the teachers in that space. And couldn't agree more. I mean, if we're, if we're not doing that minimally, how do we expect our, our students to feel safe sharing their experiences, which again is so important to the, the leadership learning process? Agreed. Agreed. And one simple way to try to create that trust, ask students how they're doing. Yes. Like I, I, yes. Yeah. yeah. Every class and they write about it. And cause I tell my students or at the, I ask them at the end, you know, complete the eval. Some do, some don't. Um, but I say, if nothing else answer some of these questions, like, you know, do you feel like you do one, do you feel like it was an inclusive space? Um, our SFFs have a specific question around, did the instructor create an inclusive environment? And overwhelmingly that's the, the feedback that I get. Um, but a lot of it is because I, I share some things that I feel comfortable sharing. Like if I'm dodging my chair, I will tell them I'm dodging my chair. If I was up late last night writing, I tell them that. And that those are really easy ways to share. Um, what people should not do though, is I have I I have heard students share stories about their other faculty because when when we get in that space they they tend to overshare a little bit and I'll put my hands up and say nope can't tell me that stuff ah oh, not my business um but one of the things that they try to do is um you know in trying to build a personal relationship they say oh you know great haircut or comment on something physical and so as we're asking how they're doing like making sure just keep it away from the physical. Um, and more towards, you know, how are your other classes going? How are things at work going? Um, 
you know, are you doing anything? Like I always tell my students, if you want to shout out your organization at the beginning of class, if you feel like they're doing an event that other people would love to share it, because that's how you further the learning, but also again, that's how you build bridges. But, um, but yeah, that, that all leads to that trust you talk about. Um, the one thing I'll say, and probably where the last thing I'll say is I was blown away by how many of our guests shared that they weren't good high school students and weren't good college students. And that drove their desire to make higher education better. Um, we know college gets criticized and there are some people out there that are messing it up for us, but there are way more people that are doing good work, good teaching and good work. And I feel like it comes from that, that, feel like I appreciated it even more that they said, I wasn't good at this. I want to, I, I want to make it better and find out ways to make it better. But also I recognize there are people that aren't good high school students, aren't good college students. And it doesn't mean they don't need to be there. It just means that we have to get better about teaching so that we are, we try to make sure that if they're in that space, they feel included and that they can learn something. So that, that stood out for me. Um, what about you, Dan, anything you want to share one thing before, or maybe do you want to talk about, since I talked about on an episode <laughs> about integrating learning into my learning into practice, I don't know if you want to jump in and share maybe a couple of ways that you integrate your learning into your practice. I mean, it's a constant, it, it, I think it's, it's part of what I, what I do. You know, I think about like the learning organization, like I'm willing any day of the week to, to try something new in my classes, whether it's online or, or face-to-face or synchronous or, or what have you. And, and I think that's one of the things that is really another, one of the things that brings me joy about doing this, this podcast with you is that we get these strategies and these things that our guests share. And I can take that right into the classroom, you know, that week or the next week, or as I'm designing uh, a syllabus or a course for the, you know, for the summer or the fall or, or, or what have you, um, and being okay with with those decisions and willing to take those risks. Or um, what is it that one of our guests talked about? Oh, it was Barbie Honeycutt who said, uh, and I love, she talked about high and low intensity activities. I used to call those high and low risk activities. I, th- I don't know which one I like better, but I think they're getting to the same place because it's it's high risk, high reward, high intensity, high reward, you know, and, and being willing to try out new things. You know, I, I, I'm I am definitely going to try out some strategies about around discussion, both in class and online about how can I make that experience better for my students and for probably for me, because, you know, I don't want to read um, a bunch of essays that are being copied and pasted into discussion boards. Um, I think that was one of the things that that Bo- Bonnie's talked about is She's like discussion in an online format is just a bunch of small papers. Like, how do we transform those spaces into what discussion should be? And so I I was going to say I'm lucky or fortunate. I don't know. uh, Folks might disagree that I get to teach both face-to-face and online classes and kind of in some uh, variations of of those. But with that, I get an opportunity to to try out a lot of different things. Um, And so definitely looking forward to the to the fall semester and and a couple opportunities this summer but um, those are those are more courses i've taught before i've got i've got an opportunity to shake some things up in the fall that i'm looking forward to and including taking as, as many as a dozen of our grad students to the ila conference in dc so that's that's going to be i'm really really looking forward to that too that's going to be a great uh, opportunity for them. Anytime you get to yeah. meet with people who are doing work outside of the country, you just get an added depth, added lens. And I'll be excited because that may be where we reunite. That's right. Um, we haven't seen each other, which is not not regular. We haven't seen each other since 2019, probably LEI 20. No, LEI would have been 2018. 
2018. Yeah. No, yeah, because we- they do 2018, 2020, and then they'll do this year, 2022 in New Orleans. We we haven't seen each other since 2019. I did not go to Montreal because that's where ILA was supposed. ILA was. Did you go to ILA in Montreal? I did. Okay, I did not. Um, before that, it would have been ALE in July of 2019. That was in um, San. No, 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 uh, Albuquerque. Albuquerque. I did not go. No. So then, before that, um, we're in 2019. Where else would we have been in the same place? ALE, LEI. And is that was it really true that it was LEI 2018 in it Orlando? Might, it might. Yeah. It might be LEI 2018 in Orlando, which I caught the flu, the worst flu ever. I caught the flu on the way, but I was on a flight from Philly with 40 kids, 40 children. I was catching something, pink eye, the flu. (laughs) Like I was, there's no way I would have walked. It is just like a daycare on a flight and interesting. Well, I'll share a story. I, I was delayed out of Orlando because the president at the time decided to t- come to Philadelphia. And we I watched his plane land and we had to wait for two hours to make sure that the airspace was clear just for the president to land. So between the d- two hour delay and the 40 children that I'm totally going to put my flu off on, I, mm. I was down for the count during grading at that time but anyway i believe that's the last time we were in person together that is just bizarre so whoever whenever we get together i guess it'll be ila um this year in dc it's going to be this when you hear the screaming and shouting and see us (laughs) i hope those who know us it'll make sense why we're so excited because we were we had reg for like six years dan all the way back to lei at ohio state in 2012 Mm -hmm. we regularly saw each other right. so it'll be wonderful that's crazy it right? will be <laughs> it'll be great uh so before we end and before we talk about our future plans i do want to say that one of the areas that we both acknowledged that we fell short in was ensuring that we had racial diversity in our speakers um for example we had an email in bell hooks inbox but unfortunately we were not able to get her on get bell on our show before um bell passed away in early January, which was saddening because she, her uh, Bell's work has had an incredible amount of um, influence uh, across teaching. Um, I don't know a program that doesn't include her work in terms of um, making sure that the next generation of educators are um, thinking about the various ways in which people show up. Um, We did identify other guests, but again, we just weren't able to secure them. We will continue to look for people of color in the teaching and learning space, especially around some of the foundational um, instrumental uh, frameworks and theories that are impacting our work. We recognize that there are folks out there and we want to get them on our podcast. And so specifically, um, we will be looking for that. And so if you see an episode that doesn't fit with our future theme, but is around teaching and learning, you'll know that because it's uh, because of our commitment to making sure that we uh, have guests of color and are displaying our commitment to being inclusive in this space. Um, so Dan, Knowing we'll have those future episodes down the pipeline, do you want to talk a little bit about our special project that I we've do. been working on? In addition to doing all of the other things, there's been an extra layer since December 2021 of research that we've been working on. You want to talk a little bit about our sure. project? Sure. Yeah, it all came out of uh, some conversations you and I were having around because we've been in in touch with with Susan Kamavez, who we kept, she, she's been at the top of our list of who, people that we want to have on our podcast. And mm-hmm. I think, I think Lauren, you had said, well, what is, 
we could ask her anything, but what is, what does Susan want to talk about? You know? And so, so we reached out to her. It was, it was Susan, you need to come on the show. We don't want to waste our episode on anything trivial. Would just would tell us what time, whatever you want to talk about the floor is yours. And in true fashion, she came back with a better response, which was, which was, Hmm. You know, um, I'm, I'm really basically like, I want to share my legacy, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and in a very, very humble way, she's, she, she's, she shared that with us and has been so generous with her time, not only talking about sharing her legacy, but she said, you know, I want to extend that to the legacy of my colleagues that I came through and, and into this discipline and created this discipline of leadership education uh, in higher education spaces with. And so we, we had a series of conversations with, with Susan around, well, what would that look like to uh, what we ultimately have decided to call um, waves of leadership education, thinking about where faculty and student affairs professionals really started to facilitate leadership learning in higher education spaces, late 70s, early 80s, kind of being that first wave, the next wave being like the 90s to early 2000s, third wave being late 2000s to the 10s, and then this fourth wave is kind of where we're at, late late 10s to, to current day, and identifying influential leadership educators in those spaces who have contributed to the evolution of of leadership education as a discipline. And so uh, we interviewed Susan multiple, well, we talked with her multiple times and then interviewed her twice. Uh, We did the same with with Denny Roberts, Uh, both fantastic conversations. They they both had uh, very much uh, some hand in hands in, in the evolution of the discipline, but also referred us to other amazing individuals. We've got a list of probably 25 or so individuals that we want to uh, speak with over the next, to be realistic, probably the next year to 18 months um, as we curate this this project that will probably end up being a series of a series of podcasts, but also could be some journal articles, some conference presentations, some uh, maybe it's a book project. We're not r- really sure um, where it will go, other than a combination of of some of those things. But you know, in addition to to Susan and Denny, we've talked with and are so grateful for the time that they shared with us. Uh, Ron Riggio, Tom Wren, uh, Kathy Allen, and we're interviewing Nance Lucas and Barbara Kellerman next. Um, and again, we've got many other folks on our list as we move through the waves of leadership education. (laughs) Yeah, it's been an enjoyable project to work on and has even helped us in terms of our own understanding. Like we just, we're regularly talking about the themes that we're seeing or um, just the humility and just Mm -hmm. willingness to talk. Like everybody's been so gracious of us for doing this work, but we're like, no, 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 no. We appreciate your contributions. And there have just been some enlightening stories, a lot of origin stories, relationships, the importance of conferences, a lot of good themes have come out. Um, And hopefully they will help us with ideas for season six. So season six will start in September of 2022. We'll spend the, the summer planning those confirming our theme, and hopefully we'll get started recording. Um, In the interim, you'll also see in our summer schedule, we'll drop uh, some episodes about different things that, again, maybe we don't want to wait till we have a theme for, but we want to get out there. Um, if folks have ideas, we're open to hearing them. And so kind of that that's where we'll leave it, right, Dan? Anything yep. else we need that's, to share? That's a wrap. Yeah. Make sure you go to the conferences this summer. Sign up for LEA. Trust me, sign up for LEA. I'm not getting paid for this, but as a, I, I said to Dan regularly, and will continue to say the things I felt like I um, was missing from other experience. LEA did that, and and does they do it very well. Um, so we'll talk about in the future. But registration is open. So unsolicited plug. 
register for LEA. All right. And thank you so much, y'all. That wraps up season <laughs> six. We did it. We, we made it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Remember, you can download all our episodes on all available podcast platforms. And when you go, please make sure you rate us five stars, as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. That's right, Lauren. We also invite you to interact with us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod. That's L-E-A-D-E-D-U-C-A-T-O-R-P-O-D. And on LinkedIn by searching for the Leadership Educator Podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn by name and on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Underscore Leadership and Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura J-B. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And a wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies now at the University of South Carolina. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our listeners. During the season, you will hear episodes featuring International Leadership Association members working globally to drive leadership education. Visit ilaglobalnetwork.org slash podcast for more information and to join the association. And finally, this podcast would not be possible without our chief partner, the Association of Leadership Educators. Please check out the ALE and all it has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you will listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 